Hey friends, welcome back to Studying the Song. Today's interview is a very special one. I'm going to interview my friend Sasha Weiss and ask her a bunch of questions about her career. And she's always been involved with a lot of readings and cabarets, which I think is really fascinating. And she sort of discovers through this interview why she's drawn to those things. I mean, she already has ideas, but um, and and the process of trying to like become okay with her type and her voice and that identity. Um, and, and you're going to hear it all unfold in this conversation. So if any of that resonates with you, I hope that you will stay tuned. See you in a minute. Welcome to Studying the Song, a podcast to help musical theater actors figure out what to sing and how to sing it so that you shine in your audition, one woman show or leading role. My friends, talent and passion are only the beginning. I believe there is freedom in preparation. I believe that when you put in the work, practice the skills, and do the research, something amazing happens. You become so prepared in your craft that you become unstoppable. In this podcast, I want to give you the tools and skills to create a powerful audition book that showcases your artistry and actually gets you work. I want you to feel totally at home reading the musical score of a show, and I want to help you define your unique artistic voice. Consider me your own personal vocal coach in your earbuds, cheering you on and bringing you the reality checks you need along the way. I'm Corey Yamaoka, and I'm so excited to be walking this journey with you. Let's dive in. Sasha Weiss, welcome to Studying the Song. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank I'm you super for being excited. Here. Oh, yeah. man. So everybody should know Sasha's one of my very best friends. We are showbiz besties. We went through the same MFA program at San Diego State. Um, at different times in different cohorts, but somehow we managed to become fast friends, even though we didn't go to college together. And we've done cabarets together and have taught at the same universities and just always stayed in touch. So let me share with our audience a little about you, Sasha, because they don't know all the wonderful things that I know. Okie dokie. Sasha received her MFA in musical theater from San Diego State where I went, and her BFA in musical theater with an emphasis in acting and vocal rep, uh, repertoire that is, from Boston Conservatory, VOCO, y'all. Some of her favorite um, NY New York credits include Jerry Springer, the opera at Carnegie Hall, hello, Colette Collage, I and Albert, the Grand Tour, and readings and workshops such as Carrie the Musical with Sutton Foster and Marin Mazzi. Um, and Mr. Holland's Opus, the musical with B.D. Wong. Did you help develop that when you were at State? He did do it at State with, I think, the class after mine. Um, and then I was involved with it after that. We're going to walk through what that yeah. process is also. Yeah. Um, and then one of my favorite factoids about you, and I watched the episode and everything, you were a game show winner on $100,000 Pyramid. And yep. your partner was Mario Batali. Is that correct? <laughs> yep. And then the, the episode the is no longer available because he got oh. canceled. So oh, sorry, shoot. friends. Was he saying, saying things he shouldn't have said. Yeah. He, okay. I mean, he always has been, I think, I mean, even in my, even in my episode, when you get to the winner circle, you have to sit in this chair and there's like these straps you have to hold onto that are like behind or like by your thighs. So you're kind of like strapped into the seat a little bit. Mm-hmm. And Michael Strahan, the host was like, well, how, how are you feeling Mario? And he was like, I mean, I have a beautiful woman sitting across from me strapped down. So I'm like something like that. That was really, and my face was like, oh, like, I was like, just don't say, don't yell at him on national TV, because that was really, 
effed up. Wait, but, um, so they didn't they didn't edit that out? No. It stayed in the episode? It stayed. In, I mean, that's not what he was canceled for. But like, I was like, yeah, I'm not surprised. You said something like that. Like, it was no big deal, you know? Oh, my gosh. And okay. yeah, and then it was him and Alfonso Rivera, who's Carlton from oh, The Fresh Prince. Oh, that's right. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. You guys were cute. Together. Not cute together. Like, you were together. <laughs> but that whole exchange. Okay. Um, what else? Oh, I also wanted to point this out. Um, you wrote your thesis on the art and the venue of cabaret. Um, yes. and you've written, produced and performed your own cabarets in New York, San Diego, and Los, Al- Los Angeles, some of which I've got to music direct and play yes. for. Um, and that's one of the main things I want to talk to you about today is writing cabarets, the art of creating them and your experience with that. Um, lastly, you've also been a faculty member um, in various musical theater programs, such as Pace University, Marymount, Marymount Manhattan, and San Diego State University, and then AMDA, the American thanks, Musical thanks and to Dramatic you. Academy in LA. Yes. Um, I think you took the classes once I yep. left, right? Yep. Yeah. That was um, perfect timing. Yeah, it worked and out well. Very appreciated. <laughs> so you've lived in New York, you lived in Los Angeles, you're from California, mm-hmm. I'm just summing up your life. Uh, it is an interview, so I should ask you questions at some point. Yeah. Um, what are, I think a lot of people, when they move to New York, they have an expectation that they're going to audition and then they're going to get cast in shows and they'll maybe work their way up and then they'll end up on Broadway and mm-hmm. that's their trajectory. Yep. Um, I'm curious what your um, experience was like when you did that, when you moved to New York. Was it what you thought it was going to be? What was the audition scene like? And what kind of work did you end up getting? I think that when I moved to New York was 2007 and it was actually a decent time to be in the union. This was like right before the recession. Wasn't that like 2008 or something right, right after. And, um, and so, I I mean, my, nothing's ever as you, as you think it will be, but Um, I guess what happens usually to people is there's like, you know, three things. One is you don't get work for a really, really long time. And then you either get work or you never do. And then you leave (laughs) or you get work like right away. And then it's just a straight trajectory of Broadway show after Broadway show after Broadway show, or you get work right away and then it stays there, but it doesn't accelerate. And that's kind of where I was like, I booked work. Uh, right away off Broadway show, got my equity contract and kept working pretty consistently for a few years doing stuff at the York Theater. And I did Jerry Springer at Carnegie Hall. I was doing tons of readings and workshops. And then you're sort of like waiting for the, the like the vehicle that's going to push you a little further. And you, you know, I've been in several Broadway callbacks and over and over and over again. And I, I just never had that big like shift in my career. Um, That's not to say that I wasn't totally happy and satisfied with the success I had, Um, but there's definitely more. I know there's more. And um, so as far as what I expected, you know, as my 17 year old self entering college, you know, being like, well, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to get, I'm going to book a Broadway show and then I'm going to be in a couple Broadway shows and then I'm going to originate a Broadway role and then I'm going to go and I'm going to perform on the Tonys and I'm going to be nominated for a Tony for that originated role and then I'm going to win three Tonys by the time I'm 30 and that you know like these things you know like no none of that happens <laughs> um but 
you know, I did get to originate a lot of roles, just not Broadway, just not Broadway show roles. <laughs> yeah. So what, what do you mean by that? What kind of, how are you originating roles? So one of my favorite things that I got involved in, in New York is NYU has a great grad musical theater writing program. Um, and they do, I, I happen to have a friend who was in his first year of that program when I moved to New York. So, and he, I've been singing with him since like eighth grade. So he was who like, I want to, uh, Daniel Lincoln. He's actually right now in San Diego. He wrote the remarkable Mr. Holmes that's happening oh, at North coast. Yes. With Omri. Oh, okay. So, um, so I've known him since like seventh grade, eighth grade or something. And he was going to that program. And so he was like, well, I'm going to use you to sing these songs that I have to present for my classes. I, you know, they have all these assignments that are like, write this kind of song for this kind of a musical, you know, and stuff like that. And they're after, at the end of their two years, they have to put up like a, an hour, I think it's, it's either, no, I think it's 90 minutes, actually a 90 minute musical. It can either be like a whole musical in 90 minutes or like a, you, they can skip a song here or there to make sure that it fits into the 90 minute time frame. Um, so he sort of got me introduced into that program. And then once people saw me perform some of his stuff, they were like, oh, I want to use her for something else I'm writing. And, and that was just really an awesome opportunity. And I feel incredibly lucky to have had that right when I got there because it, I mean, it legitimately got me work until I left New York, you know, 12 years later. <laughs> so that was great. That was how I met a lot of people. And you are the first person to ever sing a song that somebody writes and some of them and not just Danny Lincoln, but I've, I've probably worked with two handfuls of composers and lyricists and book writers from NYU, maybe more. And some of them are not great. Like you're in some not great musicals and you sort of have to figure out how you're going to make it work and do what you can to try and make it, you know, come to life in a way that that's going to like be in line with the intention of what the composer and the director and everybody involved is going for. Um, and then sometimes you get stuff that's just like a gem, you know, and then you're like, oh, this show has to go somewhere, you know. Um, but it's really fun. It's really fun to be a part of it in that context. And then when those people, as those people graduate that program, then they're working, you know, in other theaters in New York. And so a lot of them are working on Broadway, either as musical directors or some of them are writing for, you know, some of them have written Broadway show, shows that have gone to Broadway. Mm -hmm. So it's just a, it's just a real, it was a really good environment to be in when I first got there. So that's what was the like, question? What was the, the original question? <laughs> <laughs> the question was how, what was it like originating roles? Cause you said huh. it wasn't in the way that you had expected. And it sounds like this program at NY NYU, you said, right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, is maybe not something people would even think to no. find or no. look for like it, that there are these musical theater writing um mm -hmm. and not just at colleges but other sorts of right there's also um the bmi workshops in new york city are also huge i believe that aaron's and flaherty came out of that um program and so that that was another one that and a lot of these people would sim simultaneously be working at, at both of those both of those places taking classes and because it's great networking for them and they always have they always hire you know professionals to perform their stuff so I got to do a lot with them as well. But yeah, it is it is not a normal that that is the way you will originate a Broadway role. 
you're not going to originate a Broadway role, most likely, by going to like a Broadway audition and it's the first time it's happening. Most likely, you've been with it from its conception and you've kind of been able to mold and work with all of those people up until it gets to a certain, like up until it gets to Broadway. And then if you're lucky enough or wherever it's going, off Broadway, whatever, then you get to originate that role in real performance, not just in a workshop or a showcase kind of setting. I love the idea of talking about these readings. You also have some specific readings and workshops that I want you to tell stories from, but mm -hmm. what do you, um, what do you love about doing this kind of work where it's a show that's not finished, it's new, it's unknown even that it's mm -hmm. going to go any farther than what you're doing with it, which right. some people might find frustrating. Like it's never going to be fully produced. Like they want that experience. What is it about this experience that you enjoy and that you find yourself continually drawn to? Um, the, I, I personally, for me, it's feeling like I'm a part of the collaboration of it. Um, yes, at the end of the day, I am just there to perform their art. But because of the way the whole setting is, you do become a part of it. And they start, I mean, I've had songs changed and written and extended to from eight bars to you know, 32 bars of music because the composer's like, well, your voice can do this thing and I want that. And I actually think this would, you know, and so they end up changing things or they, you know, they get to know your certain skill set, and then you're a part of that collaboration, that role. You're like kind of built into that role, whether or not you carry through over with it. Mm -hmm. um, and I enjoy that part of it. I also enjoy being the first, you know, person to get to interpret a song too, because you know, if I'm going in for Wicked and I have to sing Divine Gravity, like, who am I up against? I'm up against <laughs> Adina Menzel or, you know, or great, whoever. A yeah. lot of really great performers that my voice in that particular space and genre is not going to compare, you know, in the way that it's not going to sound like that. Mm -hmm. And so when you get to be the first to sing a new song, you get to kind of set what that standard is. And that's refreshing because you're not trying to imitate something else. Um, it's really a blank slate that you yeah. get to help like paint on that canvas. Yeah, it is. It is hard though, because I think like, I know for me, I did a reading of a show. Um, I can't remember what it was called. I did a reading of a show and I played um, <laughs> a mother and I was the, older character of the show like everybody else in the show was either they were my son from I was a dead mother so I was like probably in my 30s and then they were like in their 20s and so they all had that very like trendy forward musical theater pop belt sound mm -hmm. and I don't have that sound I have a, a more round full mixy sound mm -hmm. and I remember like feeling like I needed to compete with that. Like I needed to be more chesty. I needed to be more poppy, more pingy or whatever. And the composer was like, Hey, I just want you to know that like, I cast you in this for your voice. Mm -hmm. I want your voice. I want the way that you sing. I, I don't want you to try and match anything else that's going on. Like I want, you know, and I, w I was of it since I was dead too. I was of a different time. And like, I was, you know, there was a lot of reasons why it made sense that my voice wouldn't be quite like that you know but she um, had to work that out with the composer right. and I had to yeah. remind myself hey I'm allowed to just sing with my own voice there's no 
like they may have had other workshops prior to. And so in that way, I wasn't the first person to sing those songs, but like I was the, the first person to do it in the setting that I was in. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was still a work in progress. So there were no, there, there was nothing in concrete about what had to be done. And so it was nice to be reminded too, because I think I'm only growing into what my voice sounds like now. Like as a young 20 year old, having like a round, big soprano mixy sound, it like does, doesn't, doesn't fit. And I always sort of felt like I didn't fit what I was supposed to fit in New York. And there was this pressure to like, instead go get, learn how to be a pingy belter and well, you know, all that stuff, which is great. But now I'm starting to more embrace that my voice is what it is because now I sound more like, you know, my age and I, and I, but I've always sounded like that. So it's a struggle before. Um, yeah. I just yeah. want to interject. Your voice is so beautiful. So crystal clear. Thank you. I have goosebumps thinking about it and tears <laughs> in my eyes. Why does this always happen? Um, and it like just such a gorgeous, legit sound floaty for days and yet you also are this very modern contemporary person, like your energy as an actor. Mm-hmm. So I can say, yes, it is a um, an atypical combination. Yeah, right? totally. To find modern, quirky, you can even go like as far as going neurotic, right? That could yeah. be like one type of character, um, but with a legit soprano voice. And like, where are those characters? Yeah, there's not a lot. <laughs> So you've got to find your work mm-hmm. and be a part of creating your own work yeah. and your own cabarets, which we'll get to uh, shortly. Yeah. That was a um, huge struggle with the type in, in New York, you know, knowing that I look, I don't, I'm not a classical looking person, but that's, I'm more suited for shows that are written that way vocally, but I, I don't, I can, I'm contemporary in my, yeah. In my acting as well in as your just delivery. Yeah. Your whole, just your essence. Yeah, yeah. Your mannerisms. Exactly. Yeah. But now you find yourself aging into that voice a little bit more, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Which is so interesting, the idea that, you know, like your your voice is quote unquote wrong for a certain time in your right. life, right? Like you can't right. sing the roles that your voice is right for because you're not old enough yet. I mean, you've always like in high school plays and stuff, when you have that person that was always cast as like Aunt Eller or like the mom or whatever. And you're like, that person is just waiting to be 50. And like, then they are just going to work all the time because they're just have been a mom since they were 16, you know? And there's, there's some truth to that. Although I will say, I also just think like type quote unquote is just a mess. It's a mess of a thing. It F's with your brain. It's not a good way to enter that business and it's really really hard to not subscribe to it because it is it is ingrained in so much of what's going on on Broadway and in the shows and how they're written and they're still and they're trying to be better about it but it's really hard and I think that like the whole first five years I was in New York and before I went to grad school um I was trying to like undo that thinking undo your thinking about what your type was. Yeah, like, oh, I have to be this size. I have to be this height. I have to be this hair color. And I have to have this kind of voice in order to work, Um, which wasn't true, obviously, because I was working. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, it's just really hard. And then when I came back to New York after grad school, I had so much more of a like, I'm not going to wear heels to any auditions anymore. I'm not going to wear dresses to any auditions anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm going to wear what I want. I'm going to sing what I like to sing. I'm going to sing how I want to sing it. And obviously if they give me, if they want me to do something different, I'm going to do it. But 
when I go in there, I'm just going to be who I am. And that's when I realized too, like I, I'm going to need certain people, certain people on the artistic team that have an open mind to like trying something a little different. And honestly, those are probably the people I want to work with more anyways. Yeah. What do you think gave you that newfound confidence going back to New York and having that different attitude? I think I don't really know how much I believed I was like smart or like an artist in the way that I, I know that I am now until I was in grad school. Mm -hmm. Um, I think grad school was an interesting time for me. And I kind of recognized like, oh, there's, there are people who are performers and they can be brilliant and there's absolutely value to them. But there's also people who are artists and they're different. Like that is a, there's a difference between an artist and a performer and you can be both, you know, or you can be just one or the other. Like, but I was like, I'm definitely an artist and there is like a, a bigger part of this career and this art form that I am invested in. And it's not just the performing. What does that Um, mean? I think like I used to feel like the only thing I could do to pay homage to this art form that I love so much is perform it. And I just think it got deeper for me. And I thought that because I was teaching, you know, I was learning how to teach. Um, and I just thought, you know what, if, if my goal is to like have this art form last and continue and grow, then I want to contribute wherever I can contribute. And if that's as an educator, great. If that's as a performer, great. If that's as a, you know, writer of somebody else's cabaret, great. You know, and it was just sort of this feeling that like, it's just bigger to me. It felt bigger to me and my responsibility to it felt bigger to me after grad school. And so I think then I just had this sort of I don't know, like kind of a, like a resignation almost of just like, I'm just going to go be who I am because I know I was so much more confident that I know I have something to offer that I don't have to try and fit what you want. And you will see what I have to offer when you see it. And if you don't, there's nothing I can do about that. You know, Right right. the right match. Right. And like, I want to work with people who are who are open to the kind of artist I am, the kind of performer I am, because I'm probably going to be much more stimulated and satisfied working with similar artists like that. That was really beautiful. Everything you just said. I'm glad that you shared that. I did not anticipate that happening in the, in this talk that you're going to (laughs) have. Me neither. I just probably articulated that for the first time ever. So (laughs) yeah, it's kind of like therapy. Um, I, I think that's huge. I work, you know, as a music director and a and a, a vocal coach with a lot of young singers, like college age singers, mm-hmm. um, in addition to you know more seasoned and professional singers, actors, um, and it's part of what I try to do is help them understand or discover and embrace that essence that you're talking about, right? That is uniquely them, and to say like mm-hmm. you don't have to do it like. Kristen Chenoweth or Shoshana Bean or Audra McDonald, like you don't, they, they have become something you aspire to because they had to embrace what was unique about them. And all three of those women that I just mentioned are very unique and not duplicatable. Right. There wasn't, there wasn't a Kristen Chenoweth type before Kristen Chenoweth. 
Exactly. Like they created a type and that's, yeah, ultimately I think that would be like the goal. You're like, great. I'm going to be, I'm going to be this plus size contemporary legit soprano who's a little neurotic and I'm going to be the star of this show. And that's a new type. And then people are going to be like, I also want to be right, that. Right. I can do those things. Right. I'm like that. I identify. And it is, it does make it harder because, and it, and it is, and that's not to say that I don't still go into auditions and this is a constant work in progress of, of like, you know, letting go of that feeling that I have to sound like X, Y, or Z, or because this person was the person who played it before me, I have to do that. Um, you have to constantly remind yourself that you don't have to do that, but it's, it's hard. It's really hard. It's hard. And I I think it happens as the more projects you do and the more you get older and you have less time to mess around, you know, less time to waste. And you're like, well, I'm going to start saying no to the things that aren't really enjoyable. And I'm going to stop going for things like that don't really, you know, Mm -hmm. make my heart sing. And that was part of the advantage of doing like new workshops and stuff too, is there's nothing to base it off of. You don't have a recording to go listen to of the yeah, song to learn it like? or to, well. Is it difficult? What's the challenge here? With yeah, you have to be, totally you have to be a fast learner, good sight reader, good cold reader. Like you just have to be able to like make choices and go for it. Um, vocally, uh, sight reading is probably the skill I got hired the most, like, because I have that skill is why I get getting rehired for workshops and readings. Um, because they're like, great, she's going to be able to learn this and this weird alto harmony, like enough that I I probably won't have to worry about her. So, you know, uh, or she can, you know, she'll be able to sing this song after she's maybe practiced it for like two hours with the music director and she has to perform it in front of people. Cause they're often condensed <laughs> rehearsal times, right? Oh, yeah. Like you're doing something Very. for a week. Let's talk about that. Like just yeah. sort of the logistics of a reading or a workshop. Is there a difference between a reading and a workshop? Do you think, or are those sort of interchangeable? Or is there uh, something that a reading is well, that a workshop isn't? I think a reading when they say, I guess, I guess a reading and a workshop are probably pretty similar. A reading is sometimes even more informal. Like you literally are just sitting around a table and like reading and singing from your chair. And then a workshop might be a little more, like more like a, a staged reading, like where you're standing up, you have um, music stands with your scripts and you're standing up sort of in a stage-ish setting with, you know, an, a, a very small audience of people listening. And sometimes not even a complete show, right? They're like, yeah. here's 30 minutes of material we want to show to some possible investors. Yep. Or I've done just the first act of shows. Okay. Um, yeah. Or sometimes just some songs from the show. Um, yeah. It's it's not necessarily, I mean, the whole point is it's not supposed to be flushed out. It's supposed to be something that these investors or these artists or whoever, the creative collaborators can look at and go, okay, I can... I can mold this. I can actually fit this in the black box theater at blah, 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 blah. You know, instead of what they thought was going to be at the proscenium, this would be great. And the, like, it's so they can sort of have a little bit of an imagination to what they could do with it. And then as writers to hear it in people's yeah. voices and make edits and revisions, change yeah. keys, all that kind of stuff, make a solo into a duet or vice versa. Right. Like all Just for them is... to hear it out loud for the first time. And that's like a privilege. Like that feels like such a privilege as a performer to be trusted with something that somebody else has created and then yeah I mean be trusted to to do it justice 
and to hopefully live up to whatever they expected it to be. And sometimes you don't, and then they adjust things. And sometimes you're, they're like, oh my God, I didn't even know that that could be that, you know? Um, but it's really rewarding yeah, and gratifying when it like, even when it doesn't go well, you know, that you're like, good, I contribute. Like, it's not about me. It wasn't about me performing this song really well. It was about me allowing you to see what you like and don't like about this song. And yeah. that, like, I feel grateful that I get to do that, even if it's not all positive things. But you are part of that collaborative right. process and you are right. one of the creators. Mm -hmm. That is exciting. Um, we've just briefly said it. These things are usually like a week or like a weekend. How many rehearsals do you say so on average? The, the least, I guess the, the NYU 90 minute musicals were three days of rehearsal, like it went nine to five for three days. And then the reading would be at some point on that fourth day. So you sometimes, if you were not the first reading, you might have a couple more hours of rehearsal in the morning and then you could, you know, then you would do the reading. So those were pretty fast to do 90 minutes, yeah, which is, you know, a lot of material. Yeah. It's a lot of material. It's really fun because you just have to go for it. And so the energy is like buzzing every, and all the other actors. I mean, I've had the most fun in those kinds of settings because you're all just like, well, well let's just go for this weird thing that we're going to try, you know? It's like improv almost, totally, right? Yeah. You're making acting choices on the spot. Yeah. I mean, some of the funniest things that have ever happened are from those kinds of, you know, workshops. And then I'd say there's the 29 hour readings, which are like the equity contract kind of readings. And those are, I think those are two weeks then full. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. week and a half, maybe whatever. It's 29 hours of rehearsal is all you get. Okay. <laughs> um, but it's obviously broken up, you know, through days and they, they're really strict about that too. There's also rules with readings. Like you have to have, as far as equity goes, you have to be on book. Mm -hmm. If you are all, if you're not on book, it's not a reading anymore. So it's a violation of that contract and it's something different and they have to pay you more or whatever. Mm -hmm. Then I've also done like the shows at the York were very staged readings. So we had costumes sort of. <laughs> and, um, and there was choreography and there was blocking, but we also had to be holding our script the whole time too. So, and that was in like a proscenium stage with lights and like, that was a production, but it was still technically a reading. They're called musicals in Mufti. And I think that Mufti is some, I'm going to really butcher this, but it's some like military term for like in street clothes thing oh, okay. and so that's sort of the premise is they're like great let's put on this old jerry herman musical like with allusions to costumes and what it might be if it was a full performance but it's not but they don't have to commit the budget and everything right. to do a full-blown right we're taking it seriously yeah. quote yeah. unquote. <laughs> yeah and those um, i think were two-week rehearsals maybe they were okay. just a week but it might have been you know what i might be wrong it might have been rehearsals starting Monday and you open on Friday. Gosh, that's so fast. It's yeah. like barely any time with the material to like think yeah. about but how that's you're going to interpret it. I think sometimes that makes it more fun because you don't have time to like either to get stuck in anything, you know, yeah. you kind of yeah. just have to like figure it out on the fly. And even, even in like within the weekend of five shows, you know, you're like, by the third show, something that you did on night one is just like totally different because you're like, oh, this got a laugh that time. Then that's, that's the reading I should, that's how I need to say that mm. or whatever, you know? So it's kind of cool. Cause you get to, it's keep, keeps it fresh. It's a lot of discoveries that you're making mm -hmm. as mm -hmm. you're doing it. 
Um, let's switch gears a little bit. Let's talk about cabarets. Okay. Because readings, like you're participating in other people's work. And one of the ways that I started working with you is that you have an affinity and a proclivity, all these SAT words, uh, for creating your own work, your own shows, and collecting songs and stringing together stories. And it takes a certain kind of person to have the guts to do this, to have the um, the business sense, because you mm. are sort of your own producer yeah. also. You're also singing and performing. You're also yeah. selecting repertoire. It's like, it's, um, you know, it's a lot of different pieces. You're also yourself, which is Right, you're not in Interesting. character. Right, you're, you're sort of, I always think it's like a combo of like, it's sort of like a concert meets stand-up meets I don't like a theater show like a musical yeah there's like no, but there's definitely like a informality to it um that like to me makes me think of stand-up because you are the audience is with you you are not performing for them you are like in it together at least in yeah. my mind that's how I enjoy cabaret to work the most yeah. is that way you know and you like I have had a lot of things where I've just created like art audience participation, not in like a, everybody clap, but like, you know, in a, like, we're going to play this weird game or I don't know, something like you ask people questions. Yeah. Yeah. Or you talk to them or you, yeah. It's so I think that's fun. What was your first cabaret? Do you remember the first thing you put together? Yeah. You know, the reason I got started with it, I think was my sister was doing PR for this restaurant um, on the west side called the Paris Commune and she was they were you know trying to figure out how to what events they could do to like you know bring people in and stuff like that and they had this downstairs area that was like looked like a speakeasy like and it was just there was a big grand piano and just like all these chairs and tables and a bar and like it was super informal and she was like, Hey, would you want to like do some sort of a monthly or like bi-monthly thing there? And you just like sing a few songs for some nights. And so I was like, yeah. So I started doing that and I really would just sing, like, I think it probably started with like, here's three songs. And then I would kind of increase them slowly. And then I decided like, well, it's more fun if like, I have a reason why, like, why are, why am I singing these four songs? So then I started kind of tying them together with things and did you have to reflect like Paris in the vibe of it or this is like any kinds of no wait I'm actually going to get my cabaret binder with like the original I think okay please so I ended up calling the whole series Sasha Sings um it's so so original Sasha no right it's groundbreaking (laughs) (laughs) and it would be Sasha Sings dot 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 and then whatever the theme was you guys, she's Sasha flipping sings. through a binder. She has this still. How many years ago was this? This was like 2008. Oh my 2009 gosh. 2009 maybe. I have my banter all written 14 out years still ago. too. Good Lord. Okay. Are you wondering why we're here? What do we have in store for you? And thank you for coming. <laughs> I mean, that's, I'm, the, the thing I like to is I'll write banter like an outline, like, I'll, or I'll write it out in actual sentences, but then I like half stick to it. Because again, like I said, I enjoy the, the off the cuff mm-hmm. responding to whatever energy I'm being given. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had one called um, 20 questions and it was all songs that are questions in the Ooh. title. Should I be sweet? Why don't you do right? How long has this been going on? 
Is it really me? Why, God, why? What does he want of me? What is this That's feeling? such a great theme. I love that. Thank you. Um, I, did, I did one called Standard Procedure, which was all standards. Um, like, you know, Gershwin, Cole Porter, all that. I did one called Me, Myself, and I. That was songs with I or me. So I double dare you, my funny Valentine, I'm a stranger here myself, I won't mind, mama, I'm a big girl now, (laughs) Uh, I belong here, man of my dreams, my friend, the dictionary, things like that. What's cool is like that the themes are cute in that they are something that ties the title together, but But stylistically, you can go so many different places. Yeah. There's a lot of variety for listeners. Yeah. Is that something you think is important in a cabaret? to be able to go to many yeah. different genres. I I think a cab if a cabaret is tied together in one genre, I think that's okay as long as there's some variation in there as far as like up tempo, tone, tempo, range, you know, stuff like that. But yeah, me personally, I like my cabarets to just like run the spectrum. Like we're going to go from early 1900s something to like I my friend wrote this in New York right now, you know. Um yeah. And that, that I think is fun. And that is what's fun about finding these random categories because you can, you can, you can just fill it in with whatever you want. Then how do you decide what you're going to talk about? Like how does the banter come from the songs? Can I tell you one more? Yes, please. (laughs) Your devious face. Yeah. I like this one. I have, oh, this one's called The Other Woman. And it's all songs that are sung by like the second banana of woman in the show when you're good to mama she's usually the comedian second banana is usually comedic yeah right it's usually like i mean if yeah like the ada Annie or the okay best friend carrie yeah penny right so that was a pretty fun one rizzo you could even call her a second banana Yeah, and they all have different styles of songs again Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. totally different genres and time periods yep greenfinch you guys if you're listening to this and you need she is Mm-hmm. but she's so legit yeah. too legit to quit if you're writing a cabaret and you want to steal these ideas i give you permission to because or just contact me and i'll help you i'm not a, i'm not a um a hoarder of these things either i'm not a gatekeeper like i love i actually think everybody who's a performer should do one cabaret just once because it is a very different experience you learn so much about yourself as a performer and you either Usually you either love it or you hate it. Like people are like, I don't ever want to be myself on stage ever. That was terrifying. You know, and so and then other people like me are like, I love this. I can just talk to you like we're people and we just get to like share this human experience together. So, so you get to be yourself. So tell me about the banter. Yeah. How does this tie in? How do you pick stories? Do you even like think of it in a story? So is that what you're thinking about when you put this together? Some of them, like I did um uh words of wisdom uh into the weiss that one i did was like a story of sort of how i my whole like timeline of my life and career in musical theater um and so that one started with into the weiss but with or into the woods but with parody lyrics of into the weiss i played this one you might have i I know i did it i know i did it in new york but i might have done it at the rockwell as well i might have done it first time at the rockwell yeah um so sometimes they'll like I did the education of Professor Weiss, and that was sort of more about my grad school experience. So in that those kinds of ones, it's very easy to have like, okay, chronologically, this is you know, 
this is maybe the kind of storyline I'll follow. But then there's some that, you know, I had sugar and spice and everything Weiss, which was just like, I, I really, <laughs> nobody knows, but I get, my last name is Weiss and I love puns. So it's danger. So um, all of the ones you just mentioned all have your last yeah. name <laughs> yeah. in the title but, you know, as a pun. Yeah. It's great. Um, so that one was just more like, I kind of traded off a, a sassy song with a, and then a sweet song and then a sassy song and a sweet song. So in those ones, then you sort of just, the story is only really relevant to like the next song you're about to sing. So you can keep it contained in that way so that there's a through line as far as the theme goes, but it's not necessarily, like it doesn't necessarily have to go in the order it's going in. You just have a like a, a precursor for each song. There's and not like a chronology to the stories in your life right, right. as they happen in the cabaret. Okay. Got yeah. It. And sometimes um, what? What were you going to say? Yeah, sometimes it's just as simple as, <laughs> I mean, sometimes I'm just really honest. I'm like, you know what? I just really wanted to sing this song. It has nothing to do with the theme. And, and that's when I get like where I'm like, well, this is the, this is where I can just do what I want. Like, no, nobody's going to ever ask me to sing whatever song in an audition. So I'm going to do it right here. And I'd, or I'd never, ever get to play this part. So I'm going to sing, I'm not that smart from spelling bee because I don't get to, I'm not going to ever play that part, you know, or whatever. So it's kind of nice. And you also can take the songs out of context. Like one of my, one of my jams is glitter and be gay, but like, I'm not a Kunaganda and I never have been, and I won't ever be because now I'm old, but like, (laughs) but so I could sing that song in a context that works for me and for what my type is and for my, you know, my slightly neurotic, sassy soprano, which is different than this like ingenue soprano who's getting married off to a rich guy, you know? And so it's kind of nice because you can take things out of their context and then change, like turn them on their ear and make them something different than they are intended for in the show. And those songs, like you start to hear them in a whole new way as a listener, Mm -hmm. right? Like you're experiencing them as an audience member in a new way. And it can bring like a freshness to a song that you've heard a million times. You're like, oh, I never had heard that lyric because the way that this person Mm -hmm. phrased it, which you might never do if you're in the show, right? Do you ever like change the, like the tempo of the songs or the groove or like go that far with changing the music? Yeah, there's one. There was one, I got this idea that I was going to do this cabaret called Gentlemen Prefers Sasha. And it was. (laughs) 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 And it was basically all pop songs, but like as if Marilyn Monroe, like if she were still alive, what are the pop songs that she would have claimed? And the one that stuck out to me was Call Me by Blondie. And so I did this version of it that was just Marilyn Monroe singing Call Me. And so the beginning of it is very like slow and sexy and jazzy and sultry. And then I, you know, and then I kind of get into what it, you know, the kind of hyped up fun version of it at some point, but I really enjoy playing with that. And like Corey and I do a really cool version of you ought to know, which we did before Jagged Little Pill happened. Oh my gosh. Jagged Little Pill, the musical was like (laughs) such a wet blanket for me because I was like, no, we were going to do the we whole album. We were going to reorchestrate it. Yeah. It's not a wet blanket. It's a great, there's great arrangements it is, in that show. I know we, we slacked off too long. That's all. Well, but we, we yeah, lives. our plan was to kind of, <laughs> yeah, that's true. We were going to, I don't know how it started that we were, we did that version of you ought to know. 
Do you I remember? Think we both loved that album. Yes. And I think you wanted to do it in one of your. I wanted to sing a song, but I was like, let's do it something different. And so yeah. it became this sort of like slow. It's kind bluesy, of like a. Yeah, like a but also slow, still had funk. dark, funky yeah. thing. Yeah, it was and cool. It was yeah. really cool. And then we're like, we should just do this with this whole album. Yeah. And then we didn't. And but we now... did one other song. Did we do another one of hers? Well, you and I would sing when we hosted the things at Martini's, we would do just really off the cuff. We didn't really practice these. We would sing because we know all the words. um, Hit me, baby, one more time. And like a virgin in different kind of in a different style. And we we would just riff on not are not Alanis Morissette, you guys. She just jumped (laughs) topics just to help everybody. (laughs) Sasha and I used to host an open mic cabaret, which was both thrilling and terrifying because people would come and we'd have like, 20 minutes to run 16 songs in the more tiny, stressful for Corey because she had to play them all tiny back room back dressing room <laughs> I don't even know how we all fit back there and there was a keyboard right in the middle yep. of the room and we'd run through people's music and then Sasha would also be performing these reimagined versions and a mm-hmm. lot of it was improvised on the spot as yes. she said um like a virgin hit me big one more time but I thought we did another, there was another Alanis one, and I think Jason played Cajon. Uninvited? Yes. Yeah. It was uninvited. Yeah. That's a good one. Here's a and- question I didn't send you. Sorry, I'm going to cut you off for a second. No. Do you have any artists who do cabaret that you really enjoy or have been inspired by? Uh, well, I will say Catherine Lounsbury's show at the Duplex was one of my favorite things I've ever seen. Oh my gosh. Happened to be like the same week as one of my shows at the duplex. So we were like, oh my God. And she doesn't live there. She lives in LA. So she happened to be there for her show. And I was like, well, I'm going to come support you. So I went and then she was like, well, I'm going to come support you. And we both were just like, oh my God, you were so good. Oh my God, you were so good. And we just adored each other. But hers was just so fun because it was, you know, she's not a vocalist. She's a pianist and a guitarist. (laughs) And she is also just hilarious. And so it was this like, honestly, it was like musical standup with brilliant piano playing. And I just, I was like, I've never seen anything like this. This is, it was so great. So I love her. Um, Let's see other, (sighs) I mean, there's like, you know, I saw Cheetah Rivera, like obviously these dames, these old dames that like know what they're doing. Um, But like really, really cabaret people. I don't know. I don't know if I have like a, I'm trying to think. Someone that sticks out. I, I mean, Liza's sort of yeah. famous for cabaret and just for putting on concerts and, and having, not necessarily being at a bunch of Broadway shows, but yeah. performing Broadway Yeah, music. I mean, and that's the thing too. Like there is, like I saw Kristen Chenoweth at the Hollywood Bowl. That's not a cabaret, but it's also still kind, like that's why my paper was called The Art and the Venue because they're different. Like, yeah, so, yeah, like, Adina Menzel has solo concerts, Kristen Chenoweth, everybody, like, and their brothers having solo concerts. How is that different than a cabaret? I think if you're not in the setting, that intimate kind of a setting, that's sort of, that's less audience and performer setup, that's more like tables and chairs and we're gonna, I'm gonna have a drink. There's not this expectation to just be silent and watch. You know, there's sort of this, like, we're all going to still exist in the way we are. And that's what makes it a cabaret to me. Cause it's that intimacy 
and that like you can probably see everybody in the audience while you're up there you could shout to the person in the back row and they could respond to you without a microphone you know right. like that kind of that kind of a thing so it's the space that, that I think it's makes a lot it. a huge part of it is the venue I think if it's not in a venue that's intimate it's hard to call it a cabaret and there's an interaction with the audience yeah because just I, getting up and singing 16 songs without ever talking to the audience wouldn't be a cabaret it's a concert a concert yeah so there's this sort of telling stories from your life and connecting that's inner meshed with the music I don't want to say that 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 like when you're in a concert setting if Audrey McDonald's doing a concert she's not connecting with her audience because I don't think that's true either it's just in a different way then if if it's like one of those if you could just like sit on the floor of the stage and sing a song and nobody would be like what the hell is she doing that that's a cabaret like where it could just be comfortable and no, there's no like expectation or I could say, you know what? I don't want to sing the song in heels. I'm taking off my shoes, you know? And I mean, if you're a big enough star, you could do that at a concert too. But, you know, I guess it's just sort of a more like there's a relaxed comfort and intimacy yeah. with the audience. Like I'm just one of you. I just happen to also be singing <laughs> and talking to you all night. That's good. I haven't <laughs> ever really like thought of that question. Like what makes those different when it's the same, it's, a Premise, Broadway yeah. performer, right? Like doing right. the same kinds of songs, probably. Yeah. Um, we just have like a couple minutes here. What yeah. kind of what kind of experience work do you want to create now in your life? Or do you? I think what I miss the most, like I haven't really been performing in a couple years. Um, I miss my cabarets the most, honestly, because that's the stuff I got to just like, you know, you get to do what you want and you get to just be who you are and you're not trying to sell yourself as a product, you know, or fit into anything or, you know, so for something. Yeah. And, and that's the thing too, in New York, you know, you there, it's a, it's a roller coaster and sometimes you're working a lot and sometimes you're not. And I am the kind of person that needs that creative outlet. And I wasn't being given the opportunity to have that. So I just made my own because I was just like, I'm, I miss performing and I want to perform. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to do it. And yeah, you have to, there's logistics that go into it. There's the production side of things. You have to take on a lot more than just like learning a song and singing it. Um, but you also have control over it too. And you get to choose who you work with. And that's a, that's a fun part. Which is why she chose me, everybody. Always. Yeah. Always. <laughs> High quality right here. <laughs> um, so you, if you were going to do something again, you'd want to do a cabaret next. I'd probably do, yeah, I do a cabaret, but I also like what you're doing with this ensemble. Like I just, I miss, I miss singing, but more than that, I miss like the collaborative energy that's in a room. Me too. Yeah. So if it's, I, I don't need to, it doesn't have to be my show. It doesn't have to be my cabaret. Like if, if somebody else came to me and they said, Hey, I really want your help writing this and direct, directing this cabaret, my one woman show. I'd be like, great, let's do it. I don't have to be the performer. I just enjoy that collaboration part. Yeah. You know, but of course, yeah, I'd also miss singing, but that's. It's not the main thing. I I can do that at home if I really want to. But But it is not the same. It's true. Um, I just wanted to share. Sasha just mentioned I a few weeks ago on Facebook, I was just feeling the same way. Like I want to work with people and you know people that listen to this podcast know that I'm a mom and since becoming a mom five years ago now almost five years ago 
I haven't done huge full productions. I've done readings, I've done workshops, galas, um, you know, played a bunch of auditions, you know, cabarets, that kind of stuff, because it's small, there's not as many rehearsals, I don't have to be away from my family for weeks on end, or in rehearsals every night and on the weekend. So um, I too have been feeling like, oh, I just want to be with people in a room in mm -hmm. my community in, in theater, making music again. And I was like, I'm going to be like Sasha and just put it out there and be like, Hey, I'm going to create my own work. Who wants to do this? And a bunch of people in San Diego are just feeling the same way. They're yeah. like, yes, I want to sing. It's the directors and the music directors that want to get to perform and not have to be in charge. It's performers that during the I pandemic see. had to get other jobs and they're not going back necessarily to full-time performing, but they still want that. It's people that um, just aren't in shows right now that want to be doing something. So it's a little musical theater ensemble that we're creating in San Diego. Um, and it's starting in August. And if you're in San Diego and you're listening to this, um, hit me up. Go to Koryamaoka.com. The homepage is the announcement page for the ensemble. I need to figure out a name for this group. Oh, yeah. Send right now some it's suggestions, just, everybody. It's just musical theater <laughs> ensemble, which is so boring. But um, I couldn't find something that she I was happy like my with. She didn't like my suggestion. What was your suggestion? Wait. Uh, no, it's not. So it my a pun. I yes, and I had an idea of just doing ensemble opening numbers, and it was going to be called opener. I hardly know her. That's right. And I was like, I don't want sexual <laughs> no. innuendo in this. And show. I was like, well, you've got the wrong friend. Friend. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, that's why that's your show, and I'm helping you, and then there's mine, and you help. No, me. I, I, I'm good. I don't have to do that. I'm, I'm just thrilled to get to see your stuff can I um can I bookend this from like yeah. your, what your first question was basically yeah. because I think I've come to realize so you know I said in the beginning that my goal was performing Broadway's Tony's blah blah um, when you were 17 and you went right. to New York yes. but or 17 and went to college, college sorry. yeah but yes um but I think that you know, you learn, I think it's ridiculous to have to decide what success looks like when you're 20 and then spend the rest of your life trying to figure out why you can't get to that, which is like, well, because my 20 year old self didn't know anything about what this was. But so I've come to come to learn that like the kind of person I am, that's actually not my goal. If I could, is not necessarily to perform or win Tony's or be on Broadway. If I could just be paid to be in a rehearsal forever, I would do that because that's my favorite part is just like being in rehearsals. Hey, and, and then that's made me realize that like, honestly, that's what I did most of my time in New York. Yeah. I know, I, I don't know what it's like to be in eight shows a week. I don't know what it's like to perform at the Gershwin, you know, but now the more informed version of myself sees what actually I love about this and that is what I got to do for 10 years in New York was be in rehearsals yeah. and I didn't get the like glory and all that other stuff but you get the chills <laughs> I got chills I'm showing her on my camera my so maybe on my arms are standing up that's so amazing in hindsight I think I did get what I wanted I just didn't know it's what I wanted that's really powerful yeah I feel like we're at this age where we're assessing, like, I was on this trajectory and have mm -hmm. I gotten what I thought it was? And if it's not what I set out right. for, is that it's okay? Wrong. It's a failure. Right. Yeah. 
and how yeah. we prove ourselves to people and say like, no, I'm, I'm really am successful. And it's what you just said. You look back and you're like, no, what I actually love is the rehearsal. Yeah. And I did do that. And it's interesting too, because nobody else is judging my career, you know? And so really the conversation that's the most difficult for me is me now talking to my 20 year old self with those ridiculous not ridiculous, but those dreams that I had no idea whether how hard it would be or what it would be like, or if I even liked it. Right. If they would be satisfying to you. Yeah. And then it's having that conversation being like, girl, listen, I'm here now. And this is now what you know. So stop it. Reframe that. Reframe what you thought success was supposed to look like, because I'm telling you right now from everything we've been through, it's actually this. And it's okay that it's not that. And that's a hard conversation to have. Sasha, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, thank you for having me. What a powerful conversation. I'm so thankful Sasha was able to um, to be here and just speak from her heart. I hope it touched you like it did mine um, and inspired your artist artist self to just be who you are and, and be okay that that might change also over the course of your career. Um, please, if you like this podcast, go ahead, give us a rating, give us a review, just takes a few seconds. Um, As always, you can find all the show notes at coryyamaoka.com. You'll have all the info of how to get in touch with me and with Sasha. I hope you are well. I hope you are healthy. Stay safe. I will see you next time right here on Studying the Song.